Rev it up and welcome to Cars Yash, yeah, number 2,414. Today we're talking to a guy who's taken his passion and created a business around it. He's known as the Bug Eye Guy. <laughs> be prepared to be inspired. This is Cars Yeah, where you'll enjoy interviews with inspiring automotive enthusiasts. Mark Green is here to provide you with a fuel injection of automotive inspiration. So get in, sit down, buckle up, and get ready for a wild ride here on Cars Yeah. Hello, inspiring automotive enthusiasts, and welcome to Cars Yeah. Today I'm back in Brantford, Connecticut, with a very special returning guest by the name of David Silverclyde. David, welcome back to Cars Yeah. Do you have any gear, and are you ready to release the clutch? I'm ready. Thank you, Mark. Yes, very ready. Well, good to have you back. Now, for listeners that are longtime listeners, you've got to go all the way back seven years to October 11th, 2017, when David was guest number 877. A lot has happened in his world since then, no doubt. He's become very busy in what he's doing, and I wanted him to come back and give us an update on how his business is going and what he's doing, and uh, we're going to also talk about an opportunity for some of you listeners out there. He's looking for someone to help him in this business. But before we dive into a proper introduction and I talk about what you're doing, what's one little thing, and I didn't ask you this last time you were in the show, that most people don't know about you, David? Oh, wow. <laughs> a lot of things. Uh, I'm a proficient unicyclist. That's what? probably something most people wouldn't know about me. Okay, now this is interesting. I don't think I've ridden a unicycle since high school, probably, when a friend had one. And once you kind of get it down, it's like, oh, this is pretty cool. But you're still doing it at your age, huh? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, well... As long as I'm not falling, that's yeah. the challenge, I think. But no, I've, uh, I'm always, I'm a really avid cyclist. I commute to work on my bicycle all year, every day, rain or shine. And um, really important to me to be out there in the weather and in the air. And just that's my sort of ramp up and decompress routine and also keeps me in, in reasonably good shape. So I'm, I'm, I'm very much into wheeled objects of all sorts and pedal power is a big part of my life. So unicycling always has been as well. And uh, once you have it, I don't think you lose it. Well, good. I'm not sure if I want to get back on one now. Probably not a good idea for me. When This falling thing is not so good. I've got a good buddy who I used to raise vintage cars with who's a neurosurgeon. And he keeps reminding me at this point. He's a little older than me. I think he's just surpassed 71 or something like that. But he goes, yeah, you don't want to fall down at this point in our life. He said, after about age 35, your brain actually starts to shrink in your head. And that's why head injuries, when you hit your head hard when you're older, are so bad because your brain is like a marble in a balloon. It bounces all over the place. So uh, yeah, so don't hit your head. Wear a helmet. I'm sure you do on your bike. I used to ride bikes a lot. And uh, yeah, they are a great way. I I commute down the hallway now. So I wonder if my wife would let me ride a bicycle down the hallway. She might. Yeah. Maybe unicycle. That might, I could at least bang into the walls. <laughs> there you go. I'll give that a try. I'm not going to, man, that'd be a good video to put on YouTube. A lot of laughs. That'd <laughs> be fun. Well, let me give you a uh, another introduction here. David Silverclight is the CFO, and that stands for Chief Frog Eye Officer. I love it. Of the Bug Eye Guys, the world leader for Bug Eye Sprite sales, restoration, and parts. And in 2022, he purchased the first production of Bug Eye Sprite. Wow. A car he imported from Australia. David and his team have sold their 400th Bug Eye Sprite, an amazing milestone when you consider that in 2007, he started this business from a tiny home garage. Today, Bug Eye Guys is a team of 
seven people in an 11,000 square foot restored Quonset hut full of classic British cars and lots and lots of bug eye parts. David added the bug eye guys parts business in 2017 and has now shipped over 15,000 boxes of bug eye bits. I love it. Bug eye bits around the world. I get the impression of, you know, that, that, uh, what's that kid's toy that they used to play with and you add all the legs and everything. What's that called? Cootie. Okay. Every one of the 400 bug eyes built by David and his team have been unique and different from completely stock to fire breathing, plus a recent electronic version with Tesla batteries. Interesting. We're going to learn a lot more about what's been going on there at the Bug Eye Guys, but first, a word from our sponsors, so please give them a little love, and we'll be right back. Years ago, when it was time to renew my collector car insurance policy, my carrier's rates went up way up, but my usage was the same and I never made a claim. I didn't even have a ticket. So what's with that? So I turned to American Collectors Insurance. Has your collector car insurance recently raised your rates for no good reason? Tired of paying an annual membership fee? Then it's time to look around and call American Collectors Insurance. I shopped around, I asked friends for recommendations and found a winner that I can trust. And boy, I'm glad I did. I saved hundreds of dollars every year and slept better at night knowing my baby was properly insured. American Collectors Insurance have been protecting vehicles since 1976. They provided me with an agreed value insurance policy backed by their history of taking great care of their clients. What could be better than that? So give them a call and ask for a quote today. 866-ACI-YEAH. That's 866-224-9324. And protect the ones you love like I did with American Collectors Insurance. Classic car insurance designed by collectors for collectors. For several years now, you've heard me talk about Linkage Magazine. I've been a subscriber since the start. Their talented and creative team brings you a spectacular publication and website that shares the automotive passion from a worldwide perspective. Linkage is about driving, restoring, collecting, and firsthand experience at collector car auctions and more. They bring you real-world values plus rational, experienced opinions on the current markets. They cover the automotive world and the people who share our passions. And Linkage Magazine has grown, mailing you six issues annually. Join me on this journey with Linkage. They're geared for the automotive life. You can subscribe at LinkageMag.com. So, David, a lot's been going on there. You guys have been very busy. So I would love for you to talk a little bit about these cars and how this business has grown, why it's grown, why you think that more and more people are interested. And we'll touch on some of these specialty cars that you built because I love the fact that they're all a little bit different, especially we get into an EV conversion because I'm starting to hear more and more of that with people that are building classic cars. So, yeah, what's been going on, buddy? You've been busy. Yeah, well, thanks, and thanks for having me today. You know, it's been, uh, I, I listened to the interview you and I did now seven years ago and was just reflecting on the kind of how seven years of life has just gone by in a blink. And at seven years ago, we had, when we talked, we had sold our 211th bug eye, which I never could have imagined we would sell 50, let alone 100 or 211. <laughs> and now uh, this week, we sold our 400th oh, bug eye. Amazing. Congratulations. Yeah, thank you. So this is this has been something that I just, I, I'm almost at a loss for words. Of course, I'll, <laughs> I'll, 
build this podcast just fine. Of course. But I'm at a loss for words in my own brain, at least in terms of trying to comprehend what's just happened here since 2007 when we started. So roughly 16 years ago, I was just an, another car lover like all of your listeners with a real passion for one specific little niche of the car universe. You know, and I'd be at every Cars and Coffee kind of event, just like many of your listeners, in love with many, many different cars, you know, falling in love with one thing one weekend and something totally different the next weekend. But for me, I had a bug eye. I, I bought my first bug eye in like 1978. I still have that car. That's the car I call Gumby. It's a car that we radically restored when we sold our 200th bug eye. And so, you know, I'll keep that car forever. But it's it's been a car that had something, it had just a kind of staying power that none of the other cars I ever owned actually had. And it also was a huge opportunity that was sort of un, unrealized in the world. Nobody was really the main advocate for that one little car. And so in 2007, we, we set out to experiment with, could it be possible to be a specialist for bug eye sprites and now 400 cars later here we are and um yes it can be <laughs> yeah and it's it's uh incredible to me because a couple different things you know a bug eye is not a 911 right you can't go 100 miles well you can go 100 miles an <laughs> yeah. hour in them and many people have raced bug eyes but a 911 is has a lot more utility in the sense that well they have roofs and they are you know, German engineering, the bug eye was an $1,800 car when it was new. So it's not a surprise to me that if you look at the, you know, the growth of 911 ownership and popularity since 1978, uh, obviously that, that had a different kind of growth curve. And old British cars, bug eyes, MGs, Triumph, Spitfires, TR3s, whatever your choice, they've been on a very different plane. It's it, They don't have that same kind of insane following and insane appreciation that you see in something like the 911 marketplace. But that doesn't mean we haven't been able to carve out an amazing little business in an amazingly tiny niche in this world. I think one of the more humbling things to me about Bug Eye World is that it all ended in 1960. Again, trying to use 911s as an example, the the longevity of that brand is astonishing. You know, just the fact that there are so many iterations of 911s, that's one reason why the growth and popularity and the staying power and the value has just been so meteoric. So when you have a car like a Austin Healey Bug Eye Sprite, you have a defunct brand and you have um, the the lower-tiered version of that brand, right? This was sort of the kid's car that Donald Healy said, you know, any bloke could put one in his shed. And it was very low price, and it was very kind of, not crude, but it was very simplistic. And, uh, you know, the big Healy is a much more sensual and elegant machine, the 3000s or 100s. So the Bug Eye is, is not only a limited-run car with a very tiny little footprint in automotive history in terms of numbers. It's only 50,000 strong, and maybe there are five or 10,000 left in the world. So we don't have a lot to work with. And on the other hand, I mean, like we, we've had this very, very rich journey that is continuing to just be mind-blowing for all of us who come to work every day and do this. And I'm honored by the fact that right now I have six other people who show up every morning to kind of share this vision that I had and have, which is that we can be really masterful at making a, ma a magnificent automotive machine and experience 
in spite of the fact that we are working with something that's somewhat crude and simplistic. And fortunately for us, there are a number of things that have really helped us along the way. One is that the unibody construction of a bug eye sprite makes it a very, very stable and rigid platform. So sometimes they get a little rusty, but they still have so much integrity that they, they handle really well, they drive really nicely, they perform beautifully, and um, that's helped keep them alive. Some of the other you know, body-on-frame old British cars can be really rattly and torsionally, you know, flexy, scuttle-shake, all of these problems, but we don't have that with bug eyes. They have wonderfully tight rack and pinion steering that rarely wears out because they're very lightly loaded, so it's not under a lot of stress. And uh, so, so the structure, in spite of its simplicity, has been a very great structure for us to work with and to hang new and improved and upgraded and properly toleranced new parts on these cars. You can make them drive fantastically well. And so that has helped us. And the second thing that has helped us immensely is that I, you know, I was just at the Audrain Concourse with this number one first production bug eye that we'll talk more about. It's a massive achievement for us to be able to locate the number one bug eye, yeah. but also to restore it and get it on the field at Audrain. That's a separate discussion. But what I will say from being at a national concourse of that caliber, the number of people who have been touched in some way by this little car has really helped us do what we tried to do uh, and, and continue to do, you know, to get to 400 cars. When you consider that the, the bug eye sprite has in some way the, the overlap and everybody, it's like at Audrain you have, let's say, 5,000 people were wandering around. It seems to me, as a very casual observer of that, that almost all 5,000 have a bug eye story. That Some are louder than others. Some of these guys who have these amazing vintage racing machines that were on the field, they started with a bug eye, so maybe it's very integral to their journey. But then there's a guy who's showing this amazing Bentley and he says, well, my mom had one of those when I was a kid. Or there's another guy who's got like this just this crazy mercedes vintage car that's you know like top shelf restoration and he's saying oh yeah my my sister's friend came home from the hospital on the back shelf of a bug eye in a little basket in 1958 you know it's it's an interesting part of our world that these cars even though they're not a high level car per se they still touch so many people well, given that, I'm curious as to the type of people that hire you guys to build them a bug eye. What is the range? Because typically we look at us baby boomers being the the guys and gals that are interested in cars from the 50s, 60s, maybe the 70s, but kind of when it starts to wane off a little bit, you have the different millennials or Gen Xs and Ys and things. But who are the people that come to you as a majority? Are, there, are they all over the place? They're, I wouldn't say they're all over the place, but the the kind of Herbie uh, personality of the car <laughs> is yet another attribute that really has helped us break down some boundaries. So we routinely will get a call from often they're women who think that they're really cute and they want to participate, but they have enough car gene in their blood or they're, you know, they have car connections or so that it, it's not just like a, f a fleeting kind of uh, pursuit. So there are, you know, plenty of people who have car culture in their world. And then the magnetism of the bug eye smile is very useful for them to actually get entree into the classic car hobby. 
And that's been a nice and sometimes surprising but very wonderful part of our world as well. You know, you ask a great question because I often wonder, and even when we started this uh, 17 years ago, I wondered how long can this go on? You know, how many people can there be out there who would have that kind of a connection or interest in something like this? Because it's a third car for most people. It's, or, you know, an eighth car if it's a collector, right? Yeah, right. In fact, we just, we, the, the 400th bug eye is going to a guy who has this amazing collection of cars. He's, uh, he's, he's, he wants his wife to drive it or she wants to drive it. I haven't talked to her. I'm not sure who's leading that charge, but <laughs> I think we all know um, who's, who's trying to chorus whom here. I've tried that thing. Yeah. Same thing myself <laughs> yeah well we've all been there but the but the his stable includes you know like four cam carreras uh, you know wow. and, and just you know amazing he's raced vintage race he's done vintage racing for years he's got you know he, we talked about singer in my discussion with him he's yeah i i had a singer i sold it you know i mean this is like wow these are a level people in the world of collecting and car knowledge and awareness there are a lot of those people out there so he's one type of customer he's just to be clear, it's not always the third car for people. He's a guy with a, I think he said he has 25 cars at the moment. Uh, I would have loved to have gone to see his place, but he's not local. So, but, but that's, even that is another thing that's really just been I, I'm so gratifying for us. I never expected that we could be a national or even global company. And probably 95% of the business we do is with people that we never get a chance to meet. Like Ed, the fellow I was just speaking out about, he's he's based in Utah and the car is going to go to Florida and we won't meet in person, but we're able to work it all out with modern technology and a lot of FaceTime and other things as needed. But in this case, it's mainly conversation and reputation and all of that helps helps accrue to our advantage, but it makes it available in a way that I would never have thought possible. To answer your question, though, a lot of our customers are baby boomers. That's certainly been probably the bulk of our customer base, Mm -hmm. but we've done so many different things with the cars that it allows us to reach all kinds of people in all sort of arenas in the car universe. I think it's uh, another really great aspect. We've had a bunch of, of gift bug eyes. You know, my wife's turning 50. She told me that she hates my, you know, my Cobra, but she's always said, I really just want a bug eye. So, you nice. know, can you send me one and we'll surprise her. So we get put calls little, like put that. Put it in a little Tiffany box. <laughs> <laughs> right. One of my favorite stories was, uh, and this is, you know, like just reflecting on 400 sold. They've gone to so many different kinds of people, but I got a phone call from a woman one day This has to be one of my favorite of the 400. She said, my parents, I want to buy my parents a bug eye Sprite. And I said, okay, that's really sweet of you. What's the story? Why? And she said, well, I've been hearing about these cars all of my life. In fact, when I was younger, I always hear about how badly my dad wanted a bug eye Sprite. And he never really told me why. Finally, I got him to confess to me that they were on their way to look at one for sale in 1965 or whatever, you know, it was like a used one. And uh, my mom went into labor with me (laughs) on the way to go get the car. So instead of going to look at this car, they obviously had had to adjust their plans accordingly. So the father said that they were very, very happy that instead of the car, they got her. But she always felt that once she attained a particular level in her career, in her life, and her finances, that she wanted to give them oh, what, what they weren't story. able to get. 
Wow, that's tremendous. And so that that was, you know, those are the special moments where the emotion of a car, would, and, and again, all of your listeners and every car can elicit these kinds of emotional stories. It doesn't matter whether it's a Corvair or a Maserati, right? Everybody has these kinds of stories in every brand. But there's just so much personality in a, in a little car that's always smiling with these cute little <laughs> eyes staring at you. Yeah. And so it, it seems like we attract a lot of similar stories that are really just remarkable. Yeah. And it's made our business, you know, in spite of the fact that we're ultimately trying to build product and make it work beautifully, the, the emotion and the human side of these stories is, uh, it's very much with us every day. Uh, the people who call us uh, for parts, our parts customers, they, you know, they have a lot of stories to, to share. And we hear these stories. I mean, you know, these are guys who maybe didn't buy a car from us, but they have had their car for a long time. The relationships are deep and strong and they love to share. So, you know, that's another huge part of what we do is we hear stories all day long and it's, it's very gratifying. Very fun. Well, part of all this success, uh, no doubt there comes a challenge. And you and I had a little chat before, and I wanted to touch on this. I want you to share your current challenge, and that is finding people to work with you and your team. I hear this over and over again, so talk about that a little bit. Well, you know, we we started as just myself and Russ, uh, Russ the mechanic in my home garage. It's a tandem garage, so we had cars fore and aft with, you know, walls all around. It's the most impractical and difficult place to work. And it's a narrow garage and even the narrow frog eyes barely fit in the thing. So, you know, now we've grown to this this big Quonset hut and uh, it's, it's roughly 11,000 square feet of space. We roughly have 38 cars in that building at any one time. And they're in all states of, of modification and repair and disrepair. And we have a team of seven, but we'd really like to expand. We need new technicians. We need new leadership. I mean, the, the managerial requirement to administer these kinds of jobs, uh, I'm sure anybody who's in the restoration industry who's listening can relate. It, it seems like it's getting harder and harder almost with each passing month. It's, uh, I think COVID, the first round of COVID, I think wiped out a number of cottage industries that many of us were depending on for parts. Um, of course, you know that we don't have large vendors making various components for bug eyes and other similar cars. So we have to depend on very skilled craftspeople who are, are smaller shops, and all of them are struggling with inflationary pressures and COVID-type pressures, and there were supply chain pressures. All of these things, parts quality has been another big issue. Uh, every part that we buy, not every part, many of the parts that we buy, we have to machine them, modify them, enlarge them, reduce them, grind them, whatever it is before they can be installed on the car. We always dream that we can just take things out of the box and bolt it into place, but it's <laughs> it's more often than not That's you have simple. to be you have to be a wizard to be able to get from A to B to C and, and actually hold it all have it all hold together. So we need a particular kind of person, and that's a special person. I mean, I'm grateful for the people that have worked with us and continue to work for and with us um, because it's not an easy task. It takes a lot of patience to put these things together. Uh, you know, in the digital age, obviously, we have different tolerance. We're in the Amazon age, and we want things overnight, and yet 
in my industry, it's not much happens overnight anymore. Yeah, yeah. It's really difficult to, to deliver things quickly. I think the other thing that's really fascinating is that to deliver things quickly and to a very, very high standard, you know, the, the Amazonification, if that's a word, is kind of commoditizing everything. Everything is, it's just disposable. If that vendor doesn't have it, I'll click on the other vendor who does. But for classic car restoration, that rarely works and can often get you into big trouble. So we need people who are really good at solving problems, whether it's finding parts or getting parts to fit or, you know, dealing with the challenges that arise. And, you know, every car that we build is like a sculpture. Every one of those sculptures has a long story. You know, we're, I drove a car today that, that's had a hundred improvements and it was a really nice car when we started. But out of those hundred improvements, I have to make sure, because my name is on this car, that all hundred sort of sing in harmony, and they don't always do that. You know, for example, I had to get the steering wheel straight, so we're adjusting the toe in to make sure that the car goes down the road and the steering wheel is centered at 12 o'clock. Now, these are small details. Or that is an example of the small details that we really obsess about because I think that when you want to try to sell 400 of anything, they really have to be well done, especially something as complicated as an old car. Yeah. So we need people that we need people all the time. <laughs> I love to talk to anybody and everybody who can help with a piece of this puzzle that is really our daily routine and our lives. I, I, I have to laugh because my wife often reminds me, she, she, you know, I said, oh my gosh, we have so many broken things. And she'll say to me, well, you're in the business of fixing broken things. That's good. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's a good, well, if somebody out there is listening right now and getting excited by this, how can they reach out to you? What's the best way for them to find you? And I'll, I'll also put this link on your show notes page at the Cars yeah website. Well, thank you. Yeah, you know, anybody can email me at any time. And, and just the Bug Eye Guys website has all of our contact info and a lot of good stories um, and a lot of good tech info and uh, just a lot of good background information about our journey. So the best place to go really is our, our web page and our Instagram feed. I have the Bug Eye Guy on Instagram. And if you want to see a, a massive photo montage of all the crazy things that we've done, ranging from custom parts that we've made and, and kind of custom applications and fabric work. Uh, the electric projects have been another massive endeavor for us. We built three electric conversions. Wow. Our third one that we are working on now and just about finished is Tesla powered. Mm -hmm. So we need people who understand that revolution Someone emailed me recently and said, now that your main focus is electric, that, that's not at all the case <laughs> yeah. because it isn't, I, you know, out of 400 sold, we've done three uh, that are electric. So, you know, that's less than 1%, but it, it, it's probably taken a massive amount of energy burn, uh, like brain uh, energy in terms of learning understanding, trying to package. You know, it's not a very, doing scouts or suburbans with electric power or whatever, Jeeps or, you know, FJ40s, it's a, a much smarter way to go because you have a lot more room and a lot more open space. Uh, we had to put on this Tesla-powered car, two, two Tesla uh, bricks in the trunk, and you, you don't have a trunk lid on a bug eye sprite, so uh, oh, you got to slide it in it, behind yeah. the seat. Yeah. yeah, so we had to make it all module. Yeah, yeah. I was going to say I should connect you. Are you familiar? Have you ever met David Bernardo from Z Electric? 
I have not. No, oh, I don't know. You him. should meet him. He's, he was a guest on the show as well, and he's in San Diego. And what he started with was changing over VW buses and bugs from this 50s and 60s, even 70s, to electric. And he's been doing it now for a long time. Uh, perhaps you guys should talk and collaborate. He's a super nice guy. And he's also expanded into Carmagias and done some Porsches. Um, yeah, so that's what he does. That's his entire business is changing old cars into electric. So it's it's a fascinating thing. And speaking of old cars, I want to get back to this uh, uh, car number AN5L501, if I'm using the right ones. You found in Australia the very first bug-eye Sprite. How on earth did you come across that? So the, the very first production bug-eye Sprite was car number 501 or AN5L501. There were some pre-production prototypes, but the first car credited as the first production bug-eye was 501. And what's really interesting about the 501 story, not so much about the car, was the way that it kind of interacts and overlaps with our journey as bug-eye guys, the company. Because in 2012, when we were, I don't even know if we'd sold our 100th bug-eye at that point, but we were sort of still just getting our feet wet in this whole industry. I was offered this wreck of a car. I was buying a lot of cars at that point. I mean, again, remember, we've sold 400 bug eyes. I purchased probably 500. Yeah, sure. <laughs> so, Bits and pieces. Yeah, and so I'm always buying and always selling these cars and, and lots of old classic cars as well. So I'm kind of constantly looking and, and buying things. But I was offered this wreck of a bug eye in the wrong color for what I knew from what I had read about the very first production car. It had wire wheels, which I knew were not correct. It had been raced. It had a roll bar. It just didn't look anything like a car of any value, which, of course, for people who are into cars with provenance that get restored and found in fields often come this way. <laughs> so sure, sure. It perhaps it had all the right earmark, earmarks of being a special car. But to me, being more just more of a novice in my journey of doing this, it really, everything didn't look right to me. And as I looked deeper at the pictures, I knew there were certain distinct features that were on the earliest bug eyes. Because remember, this was, uh, it's hard to even imagine how they made 50,000 cars with the technology they had. That they could make 18,000 cars a year for three years is, is mind-blowing to me. And so for the first few thousand cars out of the 50,000, there were some errors and mistakes and things that they modified and made running production changes and some distinct characteristics that have been documented for all the early cars. So, you know, maybe somebody who had car number 300 or, you know, not 501 was number one, but maybe they had number 801, right? The 300th car. And they were able to document those features. So there were some known things that one would be looking for on 501, the first one. And it was very hard for me to verify from the information that was available. So I passed on the car. And I didn't, I didn't buy it. And and somebody outbid me. I didn't. I just wasn't comfortable with it. I didn't know enough to be comfortable with it. He outbid me, and it went to Australia. And uh, it was a guy actually very similar to myself who was focusing on on uh, bug eye sprites. A guy named Tony Bonetto. Maybe some of the listeners even know him because he was pretty active in collecting old British car parts. He'd come to Carlisle in America regularly, and and it was, you know was known to a lot of people into this the, the clubs and the people who are into this brand. Anyway, Tony sadly passed away uh, in an accident, and he uh, a diving accident, and he he left a car that was not quite complete and had been restored in his 
in his vision of what he wanted number one to be. And I was lucky enough to buy it from his widow and just to get a second chance to buy it in 2022. So now 10 years later, I had now sold hundreds of bug eyes and now seen so many of these. Because remember, in the restoration, even though we've sold 400, we've probably restored another 400. I don't know. We've just handled many, many of these cars. So we're very familiar with their nuances. So now in 2022, when I was offered this car, I could actually look at it with such different eyes than I had had 10 years prior. And it was very gratifying to me. I had become expert enough to really appreciate and know for certain that this really is the very first production car. And uh, it was very satisfying for me to kind of go through that arc and arrive at that moment and to be able to purchase it. Then I had to, you know, now we go back to the kind of chaos and crazy daily routine. It's like, great, you're now the proud owner of the very first production Bug Eye Sprite, <laughs> but it's in Melbourne, Australia. Congratulations. Yeah. Now figure out how to get it here. Yeah. Wow. <laughs> wow. Well, it's, you know, there's a great place on your website, and I'm going to put a link on your show notes page uh, where you tell the story and pictures the beautiful little thing. I guess it was just meant to be because it, you know, it, it, it tried to come into your garage once and you pass and it sat there and went somewhere else, but it kept thinking about you, <laughs> David, and uh, it eventually got back to you. So it makes for a, a spectacular, a spectacular story. I, I think it's great. And I also want to, you know, uh, say congratulations on taking that car uh, to uh, Greenwich and then also um, Audrain's event as well, right? The one that, that Audrain just had? Yes. Well, thank you. And and it's, it's, it's great. I mean, it's, it's all part of the feeling very satisfied of this loop of the whole journey on on for us and also the journey for that particular car because you know so now what's really also interesting about the story buying it and the arc of learning to that I would buy it and understood it is only part of the story because now a flashback if you will so now think back if you will to I guess it was roughly December of 2021 we're in the depths of the sort of post or mid-pandemic supply chain nightmare. Yeah. And I call up XYZ shippers, specialists in shipping cars from Australia to America. And they basically tell me, okay, yeah, we can ship your car from Australia to you know New Jersey. I needed an East Coast port in the New York area mm-hmm. because we're not far from that zone. And they said, yeah, we should be able to get you a ship sometime by June. Mm-hmm. And I just, you know, like I said, excuse me, yeah. <laughs> you do this every day, right? right? I mean, really, I have to wait seven months. I, I just bought the number one bug eye. This is important. Yeah. Can we charter a ship? I said, you know, I actually <laughs> asked them, can we can we fly it? Is it possible to do air freight? And the, the answer unanimously from all these vendors that I ended up meeting and learning to, to find was that because of the supply chain issues, all of the shipping was focused so aggressively on Asia that there really weren't boats going to Melbourne that would be coming mm-hmm. to America. It just right. was a very low, a low order, low demand. Uh, the triage of shipping mm-hmm. pretty much wiped out the bug eye transport business. What about the flying though? Because I sold a, a nineteen, I had a 1960 Lotus Formula Junior race car that I used to race. And I ended up selling it to a guy named Mark Green with an E on the end of Green, believe it or not, in England. And I drove it down to uh, the airport, or didn't drive the car, but I trailered it down. And they put it uh, in the belly of a, um, a British Airways jet, and he had it the next day. 
So that is great. That's a great story. Well, I looked into all of those options and they kept telling me the same thing. It's even worse if you want to fly it. Oh, just too much it stuff. Just was, yeah. Too much stuff and Melbourne to New York was not available and they were all having trouble. Like the, the brokers were all telling me they can't even get a ship date. It yeah. was a long, dramatic thing, you know, and yeah. again. Yeah. Well, remember all those ships that were stuck because that one guy tried to do a U-turn in the, I think it was the Suez Canal or something like that. Yes. And, and yeah. Yeah. He ran aground. And- yeah. And it just backed up. Yeah. Well, it was, it was a terrible time, but I, I'm so so glad that you got it and so happy that you have it. And again, I'll put a link to that that story. It, it, you know, I always like to ask about books. Is there a kind of definitive or great book on bug eye sprites you could recommend for people that want to learn more about these cars? Oh, boy. Uh, <laughs> there are a bunch of books that we use as reference tools occasionally. Mm-hmm. I think more and more the digital reference is sort of eclipsing that for a car like a Bug Eye. There is a book called Original Austin Healy Sprite by a guy named Terry Horler, who put together a really great resource and a great reference book, and that has production numbers um, and color. You know, There were only like five or six colors that were available. They're all, it's all listed in that book. So that's that's probably the book to get, original okay. Austin Healy Sprite. Okay, cool. We'll put it in there. Well, this has been really fun catching up with you, and I'm, I'm so proud of what you've done. And amazing because they always say when you're starting a business, niche, niche, niche down until it hurts. And a lot of people want to be generalists, and they think there's going to be so much more work. But you've done exactly what many people recommended. I was recommended the same thing when I had this idea to start a podcast. Niche down, niche down, and niche down to an area that you're passionate about for me. It's cars, of course. So I think it's wonderful what you've created. And I'm so, so happy and and proud of what you've done, you and your team. And again, listeners, opportunities here. If you love to work in the old car world, here's an opportunity. You say there's no jobs out there. Wrong. There's lots of jobs out there. You just got (laughs) to go find them. I wondered if you could leave us with some uh, parting words of wisdom uh, for people out there that would love to be successful and start something in their field of passion like you have. Wow, oh, I wish I, I wish I could do that with uh, <laughs> complete clarity and accuracy every time. That's a tough order. I think that it takes. Um, if someone was to ask me, like, what's the secret to our success? So um, maybe that will help lead me to some kind of an answer that will be helpful for anybody who's who's interested in that question. I think that ultimately, for us, it's taken a lot of focus on a need that we did not see being served. And I think the other thing that's really been helpful for us has been to be unafraid to say yes. I think that a lot of times in the auto industry, perhaps in the male-dominated industry, perhaps in the industry of rights and wrongs and positionality, we all know best, we all know what we do right and what we do wrong and what is and isn't proper. Uh, For us, one of the greatest opportunities and gifts of our business has been to be flexible and to, uh, I just tell you very quickly, we had someone call once and say, we want to put a bug eye Sprite in the lobby of a condominium complex we're building in New Jersey. Can you help us? Hmm. And I said, tell me more. And they said, well, we really want to attract the Instagram era for selfies. Uh, and you know, the Instagram crowd We're we're after millennials. We want them to be able to take selfies in this great sculpture in the in the entryway to this condo complex and can you build us one and you know most people would have said no 
<laughs> we said yes. We found a car in the bushes in Boston area that had, was rotting away. We restored it with no drivetrain and a beautiful interior. We painted it red. And it lives in this lobby. Uh, you can see it on our website. That's oh, one fine. of the 400 that we sold. It takes the ability to create a business that is based on making a fantastic driving machine and also being willing to say yes to a machine that will never drive. It's entombed in a building. And it was a wasted car. It would have just rusted away. It needed a lot of external restoration, but we didn't care about the structure of it because it wasn't ever going to drive. So this is, I would say, would be my success, quote, logic kind of statement is that if you are focused on a niche and you're able to be flexible and look to opportunities and have an open mind and say yes to things that come your way, you can you can pretty much do anything. Well, I'll tell you a fun, quick story before I let you go today. A friend of mine, Henry Reisner, who uh, had a business called Intermechanica, where they built copies, if you will, of old Porsche Speedsters, Roadsters, Klubelwagens, um, reproductions. It's a company his dad started back in the 50s. And I know the company. Okay. Yes. Yeah, yeah, great guy. And um, i become friends with him. And I called him one day. I was in, uh, working at a company called Griot's Garage, and we were designing a new corporate headquarters. And we came up with this idea, and I called Henry, and I said, Henry, I'm finally going to order a car from you. And he's like, oh my gosh, that's so cool. Uh, and he said, well, first and foremost, you know, knowing you, you probably wanted me to put a 911 engine in it. And, he goes, and I said, no, nope, I don't need an engine. And he said, what? And I said, yeah, I don't, don't need an engine at all. And he said, uh, electric power? Now, this was long, 10, 15 years ago. And I said, nah, well, it needs to have some wiring. I want the headlights to work and the horn to work, but I only need half a car. And he's like, what? And I said, yeah, look in your email. I just sent you a sketch. Have you ever been to Cadillac Ranch in Texas where the Cadillacs are sticking out of the ground? I want you to build me a car where the nose is sticking out of the ground, and we're going to put it in front of our new retail store with the headlights pointing at the American flag. I want the horn to work so the guys inside the store can honk the horn if a kid starts to climb on the car. Can you make me something like that? <laughs> and there's this long silence. And he goes, I, I think so. And anybody who's been to Griot's Garage in Tacoma will have seen that car. We planted it in front of the store, and uh, there you go. So, yeah, there's lots of lots of unique opportunities there, but uh, your story reminded me of that. I think it's great. I'm going to put links to all of David's uh, contacts so you can reach out to him, find his website, his Instagram page, his Facebook page. Um, he also has a parts business, as he mentioned, and his email, because anybody listening out there that wants to go work in a field that is so much fun, how can you not have fun around bug eyes and these bug eye guys? I mean, come on. So uh, I'll make sure I put links on uh, David's show notes page. David, hey, thank you for reconnecting with me, sharing your uh, successes and how far you've come. Until you and I talk again, my friend, I'll see you hopefully down the road in a bug eye. Thanks so much, Mark. This has been great fun. Today's vehicles are essentially computers on wheels, and it takes more than a wrench and oil to keep them humming. That's why Cars Yeah! supports TechForce Foundation, a nonprofit dedicated to driving tomorrow's workforce of skilled technicians forward. Techs keep our cars, trucks, airplanes, and fleets rolling. Yet there's a massive tech shortage because many young people don't know it's no longer a blue-collar job. Today, it's a new-collar career. It involves computers, technology, it's in high demand, you get paid really well, and you can live and work anywhere in the country. I know you're passionate about cars, trucks, and motorcycles, and you can help pass that passion on to the next generation of techs so our rides keep rolling down the road. 
Visit techforce.org today and learn how. Thank you so much for joining us on today's ride here at Cars Yeah. Drive on over to CarsYeah.com to find show notes and inspiring automotive fun. Download your free copy of Filler Up, a fun book filled with gorgeous photographs of fuel filler fun, including quotes from more inspiring automotive enthusiasts. Download your copy today and we'll see you next time on Cars Yeah. Yeah.